Well, we are in Colossians here on Sunday morning, and I'm going to take time this morning to look at verse 23. And I want to look at this in context of all conditional passages in the Bible. So I I want you to understand conditional passages in the Bible. And unfortunately, the Calvinists have put glasses on everybody where they see that these kind of verses are telling them, you better pick up the pace or you may not be the elect. And then there's an Arminia group that says, hey, if you don't pick up the pace, you could be losing your salvation. And, and so they tie these conditional verses into justification rather than sanctification. And I, I really hope that this is somewhat thorough. But um, yeah, there's a lot more that can be said on this subject. But let's look at verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded, steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So all the truths of justification, of salvation, of, of God giving you the gift of salvation is in doubt, is the way they want you to read that. Because that was only the first part of salvation. The second part of salvation is really up to you. If you are continuing in the faith, doubt, are you? If you are grounded and steadfast, well, I think I am, but I don't know. How do you define that? Well, I'll define it in such a way that you're not. Because I I want you to be concerned whether you are doing all the right stuff enough. First thing I want to point out here is does this word if mean that there should be uh, for a believer some doubt whether they're going to make it or not? Or are certain conditions not being fulfilled that are guaranteeing your entrance into heaven? Well, first of all, the word if itself, I gay, it is a first class conditional if. The word itself can be if, indeed, inasmuch as since. But in this case, the first class conditional, it's a fact. So since you're going to be working across the street from the beach this week, you should take your surfboard so you can go surfing. It's a positive. It's an affirmative. Okay? The negative would be, if you take your surfboard, it's not going to do you any good because you're working in Riverside. (laughs) You're not going to be anywhere near the beach. The first class conditional is a positive. He is saying, in the way we would translate in English today, since, since you guys are continuing in the faith, since you're grounded and steadfast, since you're not moved away from the hope of the gospel, it's, it's a positive This is the whole point of it. And you see it by the following verse. Verse 24 says, And now I rejoice in my sufferings for you. Verse 24 could have said, And I hope you make it. I'm a little concerned about you guys. I I mean, my sense is, yeah, you believed in Jesus, but are you really continuing in the faith? I'm I'm worried about that. I, I don't know. Are you really 
grounded and steadfast? I'm not so certain. No, Paul wouldn't say in verse 24, I rejoice in my sufferings for you because this is happening. So here's the point. Is there a condition beyond just believing in Jesus in order for eternal life to really be yours? Number one. So the real question is, is there any conditional type verses in the New Testament that's giving us step two, three, four, five, whatever additional things that must be done or not done in order to go to heaven? Number two, are these kind of conditional verses putting doubt on all who believe will really go to heaven? Number three, should I be worried that I'm not living up to some expectation? I think God has for me to really do so that I do not perish but have eternal life. There is a condition added beyond John 3.16 that undoes the truth of salvation by faith. So let me first ask the question, is salvation, justification, vague in any way? Does the New Testament really clearly state that salvation, that is not perishing, going to hell, and to have eternal life, is it really faith alone? Genesis 15, 6 is the first time God ever speaks this of a human being. And it's to Abraham. He goes outside and looks at the stars. God tells him to do so. And he says, you're going to have kids and you're going to have them more than they can be counted. And it says, Abraham believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. There was nothing that he needed to do now or in the future that would secure that. It was done. Now, Paul examines this because he, he wants the New Testament Church of Rome to understand there is no conditions. There is nothing that Abraham needed to do or not do in the future to hinge upon him being righteous in the present and the future. So Paul in Romans 4 in these first eight verses, really the whole chapter, but, you know, we only have so much time here on Sunday morning. What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but a debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Romans 11.6 goes on to make this to come back and, and, and to sort of ping pong with this concept. And he says in verse 6, and if it's by grace, salvation, justification, eternal life, then it's no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, then it's no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. What is he saying here? So if there's an addition 
some condition that is, must be attained to, something we must do or not do, then it's no longer a gift. But if something that is intrinsically of myself, of my works, that I must do and then continue to do. So once you've added that there are works that we must do or some degree of a character we must attain to, understand that we must afterwards maintain it. You understand? So if Jesus says, I have eternal life as long as I'm intrinsically of a certain nature, of a certain character, it's not just for a week. It's got to be continued till the day I die. If you add work, some works you got to do or not do to make the condition of eternal life happen, I can't just be that person or do those things once or twice or for a week or a month or 10 years. I have to continue it perfectly till the day I die before I can really even know if I am going to heaven. And so understand, if it's by grace that you're saved, it's a gift of God, then you have to continue in grace. Do you understand? If at some point you say, uh, I don't know if it's really a gift or not. I feel like I need to pay you back some, something here for that gift you gave me. Then, then you're not walking in faith. You're not walking by grace. But if it's of works, or if it's intrinsically of something of your nature, your character, then you've got to keep doing that. It does not end. In other words, am I saved for sure? I don't know, because i got to see what happens next week. <laughs> and I'm that person in character. I'm doing those works next week. Well, now, can you rejoice in your salvation? No, I've got next week now to worry about. Do you, do you understand this is why these conditional passages cannot be put to justification, but only to sanctification. Romans 11.29 says it perfectly. For the gifts and the calling of God are what? Irrevocable. They cannot change. So I might add, sort of like Paul did in Romans 11, if it is a gift, you must not do something to pay for it. Or the gift is really not the gift. True? I mean, if I give you, you know, you're expecting me to spend $10 on you for your birthday, and I buy you a $100 gift, and you're like, whoa, I don't think our friendship is at a $100 gift level. And I feel a little uncomfortable doing that because now I feel like your birthday, which is next month, I've got to give you, I don't have $100 to give you a present, but now I'm going to feel bad if I give you a $10 present. So therefore, I, I'm a little uncomfortable with this. So, you know, I thank you for the present, but let me give you $90. You, do you understand? If you're uncomfortable with salvation being a gift from God, then you're going to want to pay him back. But if you try to pay him back, you have not had faith in his grace, right? But if you just receive the gift going, wow, this is a really nice gift. And you can just be at peace saying, thank you. 
I don't feel like I got to give you a hundred dollar gift next month. It's just something in your heart. And I just don't tie anything to it for the future. I just joyfully receive it. Then that's a faith. So this is why one of the most important verses in all the Bible is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself. Understand, he could have left that phrase out. He didn't. He puts not of yourself equal in a second to not of works. So he understood that people were getting maybe it's not of works, but then they still felt, like the Calvinists teach, you better have a holy nature compared with God's holy nature, or maybe you weren't elect saved to begin with. So I know you've been acting like a Christian the last few weeks, months, decades, <laughs> but this last five years has proven to me that you really never were the elect. Do you, do you understand it's not intrinsically of yourself. It's not something in the past that you have this great character, but Christ can bring out that great character. So once you get saved, we're going to see this great character that God always saw, but now we see it. It's not of yourself. That could be the case. It may not be the case. The fact is, is some people come to Christ and they never do really grow in Christ the way they should. I mean, there's a lot of reason for that. I've known people that were serious alcoholics or drug addicts, also gang members. I've seen people that I've led to Christ in prison that couldn't even read. They had no family to support them. And for them to grow in Christ and not still, and not sell drugs to support their family and to, and to grow in that character, it's much harder than somebody else. So maybe they do, maybe they don't. But either way, it doesn't hinge on their security of their eternal destination. So going back to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So again, if... if these conditional verses are saying, Brian, we're going to know if you're really, really believed, if you really, really are saved by your character, by your nature in the following weeks, months, years, then really it is of myself, isn't it? You can't, Ephesians 2 isn't true. You're saved by grace through faith, but it is of yourself. If that, if that is indeed what has to happen before I can rejoice in my salvation. Well, we're going to see in the days, the months, the years, are you going to go to church? Are you going to read your Bible? Are you going to pray? Are you going to witness? Are you going to tithe? Are you going to support missionaries? I, I need to see your works. So if a person does believe on the Lord, but for whatever reason doesn't go to church, when I... When the Iron Curtain fell, we went into Hungary and Serbia and or Yugoslavia at the time and, and all of these countries. There were no Christian churches and the handful of Christian churches around, nobody would go to because they made it through the communist era by being very communistic churches. And so you, didn't, you, you weren't going to go to those churches. They were just politics. 
And often we'd lead somebody to the Lord and say, oh, where are you from? And they'd say, oh, we're from such and such in Romania. And, uh, well, is there any churches there? Well, no, there's not. There's a Catholic church or the Roman or the Greek Orthodox type church. That, that's it. Should I go to one of those? No. <laughs> in this case, it would better, be better not to go to church than to go to church because bad doctrine will not help you grow in maturity in the Lord. So, again, there's reasons people may not. But either way, it is no longer not of yourself, but it is of yourself. You're saved by grace faith, but it is of yourself. It's a gift of God, but it's still by works. Do you understand? It's literally taking one of the foundational stones of Christianity and making it untrue. In John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whoever believes, there's the only condition in him. Of course, we learned in John 1, it's grace, in his grace, grace upon grace, should not perish and have everlasting life, period. Do you see the period at the end of that sentence? Does anybody's Bible have a comma after everlasting life? The point is, is that the moment you believe, you can rejoice that you're never going to perish. You can rejoice in that moment. I am having everlasting life. Whatever happens tomorrow, it's irrelevant. It's in this moment I have believed. Now, you guys know John 3.16. It's really talking about what came before that. And remember Nicodemus, who said, yeah, I'm a Pharisee, I'm a lawyer, I'm a, yeah, I'm a scribe. I, I, and, and he said, hey, that was just flesh, is flesh, that was spirit, spirit. You've got to be born again. Well, how can I go back into my mother's womb again? And then Jesus says, no, 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 let me explain it like this. Do you remember the story in the Old Testament when the people were murmuring and God allowed the snakes that were under the ground, that he kept under the ground so they would have safe travels through the desert? He took that hand away and the serpents began to bite them. And then Moses got one of the flagpoles and put a bronze serpent, bronze being the medal of judgment, the serpent of sin, of pain, of evil, of poison in this case. And if somebody gets bit, which most of the people were, just have them look at that bronze serpent and immediately they will be healed. Jesus said in the same exact way, when the Son of Man is lifted up, whoever looks at him will be saved. Do you, do you understand? Now, now, did Moses tell these people the next day? Now, I know a lot of you yesterday looked at the bronze serpent and you were healed from the poison. The poison's still there. And I've got to give you a condition. As long as you continue from this point forward obeying God, you won't die from that poison. But the day you disobey God, that poison is going to kill you. Did Jesus heal the blind man? I was blind and now I see. And then he says to him, yeah, you can see as long as you obey God. But in the coming days and weeks and years, if you disobey God, you're going to be blind again. 
You, you, do you understand what I'm saying? It would be cruel. It would be cruel for God to heal them, to then only put them in this state of constant worry. And then we learn in the Sermon on the Mount, it's not just outward sins, it's sins you can do in your brain. It's sins you can do in your heart. When you lust in your heart, commit adultery in your heart, God puts it down in his book as if you really did it. Go to heaven, there, there you are, you've committed adultery 10 times. But Lord, I didn't commit adultery at all. Well, did you do it in your heart? As far as I'm concerned, you did it. That's what it says. So can anybody have a condition of obedience and make it? Of course not. So the answer is yes. Salvation is very, very clear. Salvation is by faith alone. It's a gift from God. It is not to be paid back. It is not to be earned. It is simply a guarantee by God. I think of the, the first person who ever took Jesus up on this faith alone thing. The thief on the cross. And you know what's so wonderful about that faith on the cross? It wasn't of himself. It could not be of his works. This guy was mocking Jesus with the crowds even after he was on the cross. That's a hard-hearted dude. You're going to your own death and you're mocking Jesus. So it wasn't of himself. It wasn't definitely of his past self. It really wasn't of his present self because moments earlier he had been cursing Jesus along with the crowds. It definitely wasn't of his future self because he was going to die. It clearly wasn't of his works. His hands were tied. His feet were tied. He wasn't going to even live a second beyond believing. So understand that we, Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. There, it wasn't of himself. He never had a good nature, a good character on earth. The only right thing he ever did was believe that Jesus would raise from the dead and that he was a gracious guy because he just said, Father, forgive me, they're not what they do. And he was in heaven. So no, there's something, if there is something after I believe that I have to do or not do in order for the cross to be validated, then we have to conclude that the cross of Christ, the blood that he shed, was not as powerful as we originally thought. Does the cross of Christ forgive all your sins? Not for sure. It forgave your sins, but your sins could be attributed to you in the future. And that could undo the cross. The blood that Jesus shed can cleanse all your sins. But if you're not continuing in the faith grounded, steadfast, unmoved away from the gospel, then the blood of Christ didn't quite reach you. Is this what we see in the New Testament? Or is the cross all-powerful for all sins? Whoever will believe that he didn't, God just doesn't forgive the sins of believers, as he says in 1 John 2, but he also forgives the sins of non-believers. Not only will he forgive your sin, he says in 1 John 2, 2, but not only you, but for the sins of the whole world, his blood was shed. His cross is incredibly powerful. There is nothing more powerful that's ever happened on this earth than the cross of Christ. The blood of Christ, there is nothing more powerful 
than the sacrificial death and the blood shed for that sacrifice and the blood placed upon the mercy seat in heaven in the true tabernacle, the true temple of God forever and ever. Now, Paul has to go into this in Hebrews. Now, the book of Hebrews is second generation Christians who are losing their Jewishness and are wanting to go back to Judaism. They're wanting to go back under the law because they're feeling insecure. They believe in Jesus by faith alone, but I'm in this wicked Roman country and, and, I, and I feel like I need a law to keep me on track. I feel like I need to go back under a law to make me obedient. I need a law to be my taskmaster to keep me on the narrow road. So thanks for the, the message of the gospel, Paul. But I, I think that Judaism is what's for us. And Paul in the book of Hebrews makes it clear. If they go back to Judaism, they have left Christ. And there's only one way to be saved. He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. So there's several conditional verses in this passage, but none of them should be confusing if you understand that he is saying that Jesus is better than all the Old Testament. Jesus is better than all the Old Testament prophets. Jesus is better than all the angels. Jesus' priesthood through Melchizedek is far superior to anything the Jews ever had to offer. And so this is what he explains in chapter 9 and 10 of Hebrews. But in chapter 9, in particular, verse 12, not of the blood of goats and calves, but his own blood he entered the most holy place, notice this, once for all, having obtained, completed past action, eternal redemption. So he says here, you guys are wanting to give up on walking by faith in Christ alone. But you must understand that there is nothing for you to do that will make your salvation secure. Jesus already secured all of the work of salvation through the blood he shed as our high priest. In Hebrews 10.10, that by that what we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The reason I point this out is sanctification is what we are to be a part of while we're in this body. But it tells us here, and it's going to tell us again in a minute, that Jesus has already completed the work of sanctification on the cross. It was already done. So if you walk in sanctification, then you're the elect. If you don't walk in the sanctification, you lost your salvation. No, I'm always, I'm, we are always victorious. Greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. As he is, so are we in this world. He already sees us seated together with him in heavenly places. On the cross, he has done all of the work for justification and even sanctification. Now, the day I get born again till the day I leave this body, if I join with the Lord in sanctification, we're going to talk about that in a minute, then there's great rewards. And we're pleasing God. I could care less about the rewards. I just want to love Jesus. I want Jesus to be loved as much as he has loved me. In Hebrews 10, 12 but this man, after he has offered up one sacrifice for sins, what? Forever. 
set down at the right hand of God. In Hebrews 10, 14, do you see the, the evolution of verse 10, verse 12, and now verse 14 of Hebrews 10? For by the one offering he has passed one action in the past, perfected forever those who are now being sanctified. So he is even in this process of sanctification the, through the power of the cross, through the power of his blood. He is sanctifying us right now. Hebrews 10, 23. So let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? For he who promised is faithful. Why are you going to be given entry into heaven? Is the father going to stand there and say, why should I let you into my heaven? And you're going to say, what? Through the blood of Christ. That's it. But of course, you don't have to say anything, do you? Because Ephesians 5 says, Jesus presents us. Jesus stands there and says, this is somebody who's been washed in the blood. This is somebody who had faith in Christ, faith in, in the cross. They're my bride. Let them in, Father. It's not even a word we have to say. All glory goes to God. All glory goes to Jesus Christ. He lived the perfect life, the lamb without spot or blemish. He is the one who gave himself as a sacrifice. This is part of the problem in Hebrews. They're going, well, if Jesus of the tribe of Judah gave a sacrifice, then it's invalid. Because remember King Hezekiah, um, or no, it was Joseph, King who? One of the kings tried to offer incense and he got leprosy. I hate, I hate being on. Who was it? Uzziah. Uzziah. Thank you, of course. I, I knew that. I was just testing you. You all failed except for Jenny. Oh, man, I hate when I do those, those things these days. But yeah, Uzziah, he offered incense. That's it. And he got leprosy because he was of the tribe of Judah. So Paul explains. Remember Melchizedek, the high priest, and also at the same time a king? Huh. A king and a priest. That's back in Genesis 14, Melchizedek. Jesus is of greater priesthood. This Melchizedek had no beginning of days or ending of days. That's Jesus. He is a high priest and also a king. And from that order of priesthood where you can also be a king, he gave himself as a sacrifice. It's not only acceptable, it's superior. This is the whole point. So in Romans 1.17, it says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it's written, the just shall live by faith. So there it is, the word live. After we have faith in Jesus, how do we go the second step, the third step, the second day, the second week, the second year, the second decade? What is it that God wants to see in our life? Faith. Continuing, just like it said at the end in Hebrews 10.23, he who promises faithful, that's what you need to get. Hold on to your confession. But I feel like such a sinner. Hold on to your faith. Jesus cleansed you from all sin. Jesus now is cleansing you from all sin. If you confess your sin, the one sin you know about, there's a whole bunch that you don't know about. 
He's faithful to forgive you that sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Hold your confession by faith and faith alone. Well, here's the next. Are there any New Testament verses that give other necessary conditions for salvation? Is in the New Testament, there's many of these, that say there, there is a future condition after believing, after you look at the bronze serpent on the pole, is there further conditions? So they, they, there's so many of them, I picked out one. That's because that's all the time we have. For example, in Hebrews 5.9, having been perfected, he became the author of eternal life condition to all who obey him. Ah, there's the catch. This eternal life goes to all who in the future obey him. Again, what is he talking about? Jesus, when the people, he had fed them, and now the people showed up because they wanted breakfast. Jesus says, don't work for the works that perish, but work for the work that leads to eternal life. And they asked the question in John 6, 28. Then they said to him, what do we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to him, this is the work singular of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. That's right. You want to obey God? It's believing in Jesus. That's it. There's one work. I'm going to get to heaven. There is one work I have to do. <laughs> Having believed in Jesus Christ that he did all the work for me and no future work was necessary. That he saved me, whether I end up being a very fruitful Christian or have no fruit as a Christian, he still saved me. Right? Just like the thief on the cross, he has no... He had no future fruit. He had no future obedience. It wasn't of himself. He was a bad thief. <laughs> when he died, the only difference is he had faith in Jesus. He's going to be in heaven for what? How is that thief on the cross going to be in heaven? By the death and the resurrection of Christ only. So the question is, do you believe you're going to see that thief in heaven? How did he get there? As a gift of God by faith only. Only So yes, when it says in Hebrews 5, 9, the eternal salvation is to all who obey him. What is the thing we need to do to obey God? What are those things? And he said, there's just one thing. That's to believe in him whom God has sent. Believing in Jesus as the Messiah. So what does Colossians, or what did this verse to the Colossians, but also to all of us, what is he talking about to continue in. Again, let me read that verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. It's clear what he's talking about. It's the truth message of salvation by faith alone. So look at this. It's in the positive. So continue in the faith and Christianity in the true Jesus, not in Gnosticism. That's, that was the main thing there. The Gnostics had come in. They had infiltrated the church. There were Gnostics at their Sunday morning service who did not believe Jesus was God. 
They believed he was a created being. They did not believe Jesus was ever in the flesh because all materialism is evil. He was only an emanation. Then he continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast. Don't let these Gnostics move you. We're going to also see there were Judaizers in the church. Understand, Christianity was new. You, we, they couldn't say like we do today, look, this is what's been taught for the last 2,000 years about Christianity. And all of a sudden, after 2,000 years, you're going to give us a new brand of Christianity? I don't think so. They didn't have that. It was just a few years old. Well, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about Christianity. It's this infant thing. They didn't have a, a long depth. So these Judaizers are coming in saying, well, I'm glad that you believed in Jesus, but you also got to keep the law. Not all 613. Let me pick them out for you. Today, we would also say, don't be grounded, steadfast. Don't go to JWs or the Mormons or the Muslims, right? Not moved away from the hope, the certainty of the gospel. That is faith alone in the cross of Christ. Uh, years ago, I had an elderly lady in the church, which was unique back then. We didn't have a lot of them. But she sort of came up afterwards to chastise me. To tell me that ever since she's been going to that church, not once have I called her to come over to her house to have a piece of pie and, uh, you know, share a Bible study with her one-on-one. -on -one. Of course, at that time, the church was a couple thousand people. But I don't need you to do it anymore because I have these wonderful people every Saturday now that come to my house just to see me and just for me to have a Bible study with them. So I just want you to know I won't be going to church anymore. I'm going to the Jehovah Witness Church because they really care about people. They knock on their doors and they come to their house and they have a piece of pie and, and share Jesus with them. Now this lady had in her early days as a child was in the JW church, but had left that and come to Christ uh, in her teenage years and 20s. And I had to tell her, it's a different Jesus. That's, their Jesus is Michael the Archangel. Well, it's Jesus. That's all that matters. They, they, let me tell you, as soon as they get done having come to your house, having Bible studies at your house, they're going to tell you for you to get right with God and to make it not to go to heaven, it's only 144,000 go to heaven, but to live forever, you got to go out every Saturday knocking on doors. Nobody's going to be knocking on your door in just a couple of months. <laughs> but they are going to insist that you go knocking on other doors all day Saturday because you have to do those works if you want to have eternal life. It's salvation by works. I don't know what the final outcome was, but I would say to her, I, I wouldn't want to stand before God having quit believing in Jesus as God in human flesh, but began to believe Jesus is just an angel who was created by God, who was able to ascend to a level beyond angels. He's still an angel, but he now can be God with a little g, not the God. This is what he's saying here. It's very clear. Read the last part of the verse that this gospel, the certainty, the word hope in Greek is certainty of the gospel which you've heard, which is preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. These facts are true. They're not going to change. 
So don't listen to the Gnostics. Don't listen to the Judaizers. Don't be put back under the law. It's a different Jesus. It's a different way of under righteousness. It's a different salvation. It's not the gospel at all. Notice in Corinthians, he has to say the same thing. In 2 Corinthians 11, 3 and 4, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. For if he comes, preaches another Jesus whom we've not preached, if you receive a different spirit, ooh, there's only one other one, that's Satan, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. So again, in this Second Corinthians letter, he, he says that your growth in Christ, your maturity in Christ is our aim. That's everything I do as Paul is to preach the gospel. Not, not, that's not the end. I preach the gospel and then I bleed, I suffer, I go in hunger, I get beaten, I get robbed, I get imprisoned because I am, my job is to see that you are matured in Christ. And if you let these guys come into your house on Saturday morning, you're blowing it. And again, I don't find anywhere where Paul says, you may not be saved after all. He never says anything like that. That's implied through the Calvinistic glasses or the Arminian glasses. It's not in the text. Look at Galatians 1. They were having the same issues. And he says there in verse 6 through 9, I marvel you are turning away so soon from him, that is the true God, who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. In the Greek, there's two words for another. And one is if you're drinking coffee and I say, would you like another? That means another cup of coffee. But if I see you take, have a weird look on your face when you take a sip of the coffee, and I say, do you want another that second word is different. Do you want a Coke or a glass of water? This is what he's saying. It's one of a different kind. It's not a, another good one. It's clearly one that's bad. He who comes preaches, uh, he goes on to say there, a different gospel, a different Christ. And he says in verse 7, which is not another, but a there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. If even we or an angel of heaven preached any other gospel to you, interesting the Romans claim that. The Mormons say that uh, Moroni, the, the angel, gave them Mormonism. Even if an angel of heaven preached the gospel to you, that other than what we've preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again, if any preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Now, is he saying if they believe what these other guys are saying, they're going to be cursed? Read it again. It's those who are trying to persuade them to believe in this different Jesus in the district gospel who's going to be accursed. Isn't that what James 1 says? Let few among you be teachers, knowing you're going to incur a stricter judgment. So he, he's not damning the Galatian believers here. He's damning those that are preaching this false teaching. But he goes on in Galatians 3, verses 1 through 3, O foolish Galatian, who's bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly betrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing of faith? 
Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? But yet, isn't that the truth in so many doctrines? It's, yes, after you believe, then we got to see the persistence of the saints, the, Calvary, the Calvinists say, by, by you living this life. Isn't it really they have to perfect in their flesh what God did in the Spirit? Yes, we believe salvation by faith alone, but we don't know it until we see you first persisting for a while. Or if you're not persisting, maybe you weren't saved to begin with. So again, they are doing exactly what he said. And he said at the beginning there in chapter three, verse one, who has bewitched you? Strong words. In Galatians five, he goes on in verse one through four, stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Do not be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again, every man who becomes circumcised, that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. Can anybody do that? Can anybody keep the Old Testament law? Even morning in believers. No, we can't. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. So they are believers but they're not going to be progressing any farther without grace. Remember what I said earlier? If you start with grace, by definition, you have to keep in grace, right? If, if I believe I'm saved as a gift from God, but I later can pay God back, so it doesn't have to be a gift after all. It, it, you never received it as a gift to begin with, right? I have to receive salvation as a gift today and tomorrow and the next day. I got to believe that Jesus' cross paid for all my sins. His blood cleansed me all of my sins. I got to keep believing that. The sins I commit tomorrow, 2,000 years ago, Christ paid for those. The ones I commit a month now, Christ paid for those. I have to keep believing that. Do you understand? And this is why he says, they're taking away your liberty. Because the moment the baton passes to you, this is what the idea is. Christ did the work on the cross. He, blood was shed. He died and rose again. But after you believe, he says, now here's the baton. We're going to see whether you can finish the race and win the race. It's up to you. You may make it to heaven, you may not. It's up to you. This is what the law was telling them. You now need to get circumcised. I know you're a Gentile, but you got to keep the certain parts of the law you got to keep and and in this group, circumcision was one of them. Well, First John really dealt, First, Second, and Third John really dealt with the Gnostics. And in verse chapter four, he says in verse one through three, "Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God." And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is already in the world. Again, he says, you need to reject this. He doesn't say, if you don't reject this, you're going to hell. He simply is saying, you're not going to progress any further. You need to see who Jesus is. Now, I've been a Christian, sincere Christian, since I was 15 years old. And there are times I believe certain doctrines, being swayed by sometimes the Pentecostals, sometimes by the Calvinists. I even taught them as a pastor. And, and 
a year, five years later, I realized that it was absolutely wrong. I, I remember when I first started pastor, I was 24 years old, and I'd be studying the passage all week that I was going to preach on, and I had this really killer point. And I thought, I'll listen to Chuck. See, see how he taught it. And Chuck comes to that killer point I was going to make, and he says, now some heretically say... And I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to listen to Chuck. Because I was going to teach it with all my heart, and it was wrong. Because, again, I, I didn't know all the scripture like I should. Did Christ damn me? Was I lost forever? No. We just, we, we hinder. That's why Paul tells Timothy to make sure you're teaching sound doctrine to assure your salvation and those who hear you, that you're healthy and growing. So again, what he, Paul is saying here is don't turn to a different Jesus that's an angel or not 100% God and 100% man. As the Mormons teach that Jesus was a man on another planet, Koloth by name, and also Lucifer was too. And, and after they were good Mormons on that planet, and they, so they got to the third level of heaven, which has become God of your own planet, and all the wives you married on that planet uh, become now eternal wives for you. Eternally, all the women in Mormonism have babies, continually. Um, sounds like heaven, ladies. Um, because you're going to be populating the souls of the next planet. And so Lucifer and uh, Elohim, who's really God, who was a man on another planet at one time, who pretended to be God, but now he's the God of Lucifer. And Jesus said, hey, what's your plan for earth if I give it to you? And he liked Jesus' plan better. It really upset Lucifer. It's a completely different Jesus, completely different gospel. It's absurd. Joseph Smith said he got it from an angel. He, that, that's how it happened. And of course, the Jehovah Witnesses, old Jesus is the only angel. Muslims, Jesus is just a man, a prophet like all other men, but a prophet of God. So Paul, Paul makes it clear here that, that in 1 John, John makes it clear in 1 John 2, 19, they went out from us because they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they may be manifest. They were, none of them were of us. I had a, a couple in our church, the guy had been raised, I can't remember which country, I believe it was Iran, and, and this, when they got married, she was completely backslidden Christian, he was a complete backslidden Muslim, so they were nothing, and they had several kids. And in time, she got on fire for the Lord once she started having kids, coming back to church. Her husband joined her and was with us for some time. I, I think it was a couple of years, but went back to visit his family and repented that he wasn't being a good Muslim. He came back and told his family they can't be Christians anymore. And he actually wanted all of them to go visit their family over there. And, uh, and his wife goes, yeah, I know some other ladies that were Americans that went to visit. They, they disappear. They never come back. I'm not going to do that. But she was like, but he was so sincere about coming to church and reading his Bible and, and, and wanting Jesus. How can this be? And I said, he went out from us because he was never really of us. In the back of his mind, he was always saying, I'm a Christian because Jesus is a good prophet, but I'm also a Muslim. And I'm not going to quit being a Muslim. 
So I do receive Jesus. Now everybody at church thinks I'm worshiping him as God, but I'm not. I'm worshiping him in my heart as a good prophet, as the, the Muslim doctrine teaches. So what is going on in the heart? If, if, if a person comes out and says, hey, I, I want to I give my testimony at church, pastor. Well, what's the testimony about? Well, I, I got to tell you, that is my last Sunday here because I'm going back to the Mormon church. Could that happen? It could. And this is what Paul is saying. So there are many in view, says, if you don't continue to obey him and submit to him, you lost your salvation. Calvinists say, you've just proven that you were never the elect to begin with. In Romans 3.23, it says, for all have sinned and fall short in the present tense, which is continually fall short of the glory of God. Paul in Romans 7 says this, in verse 14 to 25, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, so I understand. Verse 15, for I, what I am doing, I do not understand. For what will I do that I do not practice? But what I hate, that I do. I do, in verse 16, if then I do what I will not to do, I agree that the law is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in the flesh, nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not do, and the evil that I will not to do that I practice. Verse 20. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law or a principle, a principle of truth, that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, bringing into captivity the law of sin, which is in my members. Verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. <laughs> so then with the mind of myself serve the law of God, but in the flesh the law of sin. What is Paul saying to these guys? The entire Old Testament history was 613 laws given, ceremonial and some immoral, uh, moral laws, ethical laws. What did God teach us over thousands of years? That no matter how godly you want to be, no matter how sincere you are to want to obey God, we are really in sinful flesh. And your willingness to obey God will always outweigh your actually obeying God. And if I look at my life, myself, and my works, I always come short. Right? Now Paul is saying, New Testament Christians... You're, you're not taking the Old Testament law. You're not going back to Judaism, but you're creating a New Testament law. For, for some of you, that, that might be, I don't cuss anymore. That might be, I don't drink anymore. That might be, I go to church every Sunday. I, even if I'm spitting up blood, I gotta be there, man. I'm gonna, you know. Whatever the law is, you're gonna fail it. And let me tell you something else about laws you always move the bar. <laughs> if in your mind you trick yourself thinking, wow, if I put it low enough, I can keep it. You won't. Adam and Eve proved that, right? Out of all the billion trees, one tree they couldn't eat of and they couldn't keep from doing it. And they weren't even in sinful flesh yet. 
But what happens if you think you're attaining it? Automatically, subconsciously, you'll move the bar up a little higher. It used to be to be righteous. It was praying in the mornings before I went to work. But now I also got to pray at night before I go to bed. And now I got to pray at lunchtime. I feel really guilty. I ate my whole lunch and I didn't pray for it. Oh, I got to do it. You know, you're going to keep moving it until you fell it. That's the nature of the law. So what does Paul say? I came to terms. Old Testament law can't be kept. New Testament law, it can't be kept. So I, I, I came to terms that in this sinful body, this wretched man, I'm never going to win if I create a law. I will always fall short of it. So what is the answer? I see that in me, I'm born again. In me, God's spirit lives in me, and, and I'm always obeying him. Outwardly, I'm always going to fail. But thanks be that I'm coming to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If we were coming to God without Jesus, without his cross, without his blood, without his death, without his resurrection, it's a scary thing. We're going to look here in just a second at the judgment seat for believers, the Bema seat. And it's a fiery judgment even then. So the correct view, in my opinion, is Paul is talking about not to let these false Gnostic doctrines affect you. If you do get affected, they're going to hinder your growth in Christ and your fruitfulness as a Christian. But in order to have great rewards in heaven, we need to continue in the faith, grounded steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Now, this is one sentence, verse 21 to 23. Let's put this in context. One continual sentence, Colossians 1, verse 21 to 23. And you who once were alien and enemies in God, your mind by wicked words, that now he has reconciled in the body of the flesh through death to present you holy, blameless, above reproach in his sight. Since indeed, it's in the, remember, it's the first case. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded, steadfast, and moved, not moved away from the, the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached in every creature under heaven, which I, Paul, began to minister. So he is saying here that God is positionally going to present us all holy, blameless, above reproach in his sight. That's something Jesus did on the cross. But we are also going to be standing before the beam of seat of Christ. And we truly do need to be in our life, in that time of sanctification, to present ourselves wholly blameless, above reproach. Interesting that blameless and above reproach are qualifications in First Timothy for elders. So he is also talking about our contributing that, not to add to our salvation, not to complete our salvation, not to prove that we're saved, but simply for rewards. And so we are all going to come before this judgment seat. Time's running out, so I'm going to only be able to read a little bit more here. In Romans 14, verse 11 and 12, it's written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Listen to how Paul views that Bema seat of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10, therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him, in the body or out of the body, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what was done, whether good or bad. 
You know the passage in 1 Corinthians 3 where the fire is going to reveal whether we have eternal rewards or not. And in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says the same thing. I'm going for the imperishable crown, rewards. And then he said, even me, the great apostle Paul, I might be disqualified, not from going to heaven, but from getting that imperishable crown. And so there are the various crowns. I have a number of them listed there with verses. There's the crown of righteousness. There's a crown of glory. There's the crown of life. He says in Revelation 3.11 to the believers in the last days, Behold, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have. The rewards to this point you've gained, don't lose them now. As the pressure of the Antichrist and the doctrine of the persecution comes that no one may take your crown. So in Matthew 16, 27, for the Son of Man will come in glory with his Father and his angels, and then he, the Son, will reward each according to their works. In 2 John 1, 8, look to yourself that you do not lose those things we have worked for, but that we may receive, what? A full reward. Paul warns, the believers in Hebrews, they're getting sluggish. He says in, in chapter 6, going, skipping down to verse 11, and we desire that each of you show the same diligence and full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who faith and patience, what? Inherit the promises, the rewards that are gained, that God promises those, all those various crowns. You remember in Luke, the guys who get different minas won, right? The one guy gets one talent or one mina. And then the other guy gets five and ten. And the guy who has ten comes back and says, here's how I invested it. And he said, hey, you know what? I gave you that money to invest to see what you do with it. It really had nothing to do with the money. It's about you being a ruler reigning over a city. And now I'm going to give you ten cities to rule over. Probably referring to the millennial reign. But the guy who has one comes and says, oh, when I realized it was your coin, I was shaking. I know you're an austere, man. You're frightening. And I thought, man, if I lose this one, I'm dead meat. And so I just went and buried it in the ground. Here it is. He, un he undoes the handkerchief. And Jesus, with a fiery judgment, rebukes him. He says, take that away from that one guy. Give it to the guy who has 10. Now you're over 11 cities. And he rebukes him for not understanding who Jesus was and the truth about his nature and, and not being fruitful, not walking in obedience. Well, ending here in conclusion, in Revelation 19, 7 to 8, for let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. That's us, the church. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is what? The righteous acts of the saints. We are going to come before Christ, and I do believe, I'm not going to go into this, but Romans 8, I believe it's the type of body we're going to get. I think there's going to be some people that didn't live in obedience to Christ, and they're going to be like little kids. They're going to be so happy with their Happy Meal. Woohoo! This is the best food I've ever had. This is the best toy I've ever had. And then they're, you know, if I, if I tell my kids, let's go to 
McDonald's have a Happy Meal, that's the greatest thing. I'm the best dad in the world. If I tell my wife on our 10th anniversary, let's go to McDonald's have a Happy Meal, I don't think it's going to work. She's going to want something much more mature. But either way, what is going to glorify Jesus and rejoice Jesus' heart? It's the righteous acts of the saints. And we're going to have an eternal beauty by living a life of righteousness. Others are not going to fare so equally. In 1 John 2, 8, 28, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. The New American says to not shrink away in shame at his coming. In 1 Corinthians 3, again, it tells us, If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. But he makes it clear in verse 15, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. So there's Christians like Samson's, if you would, who had the spirit, who had, the, had a lot of great moments in their life. But even though they had great moments in their life, they were always in the background dabbling, dabbling, dabbling. Did God leave Samson? No. But yet he reaped what he sowed, right? He just kept not submitting to his parents and not submitting to God. And, 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 and when he finally died, it was in suicide. And not glorious. I think Samson will be one of those guys that is going to suffer the loss of all things, but yet his soul is saved. In 2 Timothy 2, 11 to 12, if we endure with him, we shall reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we, don't, if we deny him by persecution, is what he's talking about here. But in another way, if I, if I am not enduring through the sufferings and the hardship and beating my body in subjection to crucify my flesh with, its, with all its passions and desires, then Christ is going to deny me reigning with him. I'll be the guy that had one mina, and the Lord says, no. You should at least put it in the bank. You could have got a little bit of interest on it, but take it away from him. So even though I'll be in heaven, I will not be one reigning with Christ. We're all going to be kings and priests unto God to some degree, but he will deny us the ability to reign with him. Jude and Jude 1, 20 to 23. But you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ into eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction. But on others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments defiled by the flesh. As you read on, he's talking about at the coming of Christ, the rapture of Christ. And there's some Christians that their very garments smell of their drugs, of their alcohol, of their illicit sin. These guys are, but yet he, he is saying they're still going to be snatched. Their little butt's going to be burned by the fires of hell as they're, as they're getting their new body and going to be with the Lord. So, guys, we can rejoice after John 3.16. We shall not perish. Boy, that was a long sermon. I am very sorry for going that long, guys. You were great. Cameron's going, this is it. I'm, I'm changing churches. Um, I'll be all the quicker next week to make up for this week. 
Lord, thank you for your word. And we do ask that we would put the rest, all the various conditional sounding verses in the New Testament, that you are not saying, wait and see whether we can rejoice in salvation. Wait and see how you produce or don't produce or live or don't live. Or We thank you that it's by grace as a gift, not of ourselves, not of works. Cleanse us all now in the washing of the water of the word. In Jesus' precious name, amen, amen.